Good to see you this morning, uh, and we're glad to have those that are watching online with us as well. But uh, it's a beautiful day, isn't it? It's getting a little toasty, um, but that's a sure sign that summer is just around the corner. Um, hard to believe we had some snow not too long ago, but it looks like this week is going to be great, wonderful. Hope, hopefully, you're getting out and enjoying the good weather. Um, how many of you uh, received the weekly update this week in your email? How many of you read it? <laughs> oh, okay, there's a few hands there. If you did, then I hate to tell you this, but the information related to the sermon, which we affectionately called a tease, to kind of tease you, um, that's for next week's sermon. So uh, if you were looking forward to hearing uh, It's Just Me and Jesus and what that cliche is all about, you've got to come back next week. So tune in next week for that particular message. Today, we're going to be talking about faith. And last week, I... uh, actually introduced our current series, Unquestioned Answers, which is a title taken from a book written by Jeff Myers of Summit Ministries. And I explained that in conversations, Christians often refer to cliches or sayings um, to, to kind of gloss over complex issues. I don't think intentionally, but we talked about how We don't really think deeply on things when we spout off cliches and slogans and things like that. We talked about the difference between simplicity and simplicism, which was a phrase that the author of the book coined. And in short, unanswered questions are those trite, partial truths that don't tell the whole story. Sometimes there's, there's some truth to it, but it's missing a, a large portion of biblical truth to really make it a biblical statement. Let me give you a, maybe an example of how we use it. Let's say a friend comes to you and they share a, a particular struggle that they're having. You might, in your desire to encourage them to help them, you might quote out of context Romans 8, 28. God causes all things to work together for good, right? In the hopes that that's going to make them feel better, that that's going to encourage them. Or maybe you'll say, you might say something like, hey, you, you just got to let go and let God. Or hey, you just got to have faith, hoping that that kind of ends the conversation, you know, that you've done your spiritual part, you've set them up, no more needs to be said. But the truth is, we should all learn to speak intelligently about the concerns that people have without resorting to cliches like that. Just have faith, or you just got to have faith, is another platitude that you will not find in Scripture. And so this morning, that's what we're going to look at. We're going to see that the Bible doesn't tell us just have faith, but it does tell us to live by faith. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for this morning, for the opportunity that we have to look at your word 
to talk and learn about this topic called faith. Something that, Lord, is so important to us as Christ followers. So, Lord, I pray that you would give us clarity this morning, that you would help us understand what biblical faith is, and that we would indeed live by faith. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Mark Twain said once, faith is believing what you know ain't so. And Harvard professor Steven Pinker said, faith is believing something without good reason to do so. And the atheist Richard Dawkins said that faith is the great cop-out, the great excuse to evade the need to think and evaluate evidence. Faith is belief in spite of, or even perhaps because of, the lack of evidence. Well, guess what? They're all wrong. And that's what I hope to show this morning, that people who say things like this, first of all, fail to understand that they too have faith. We all do. We all have faith. I'll give you some examples. How many of you um, went to bed last night? Yep, I see that hand. I, I figured you went to bed. I, I was trying to figure out how I was going to complete my sentence. But went, went to bed last night knowing with absolute certainty you were going to wake up this morning. Liar. Nobody has that certainty. Now, there's a high degree of probability, right? I mean, if you're in good health, if you're younger, there's a good chance, yes, you're going to wake up in the morning, just as, as if there's a good chance the sun's going to come up, that, that the earth isn't going to stop spinning. It could, but there's a high degree of probability that it, that it won't. But we all have faith. I think about when I come home at night and I turn on the light switch, right? I don't know that much about electricity, but I do know that I have an expectation that when I flip the switch on, the lights come on. And when they don't, I'm put out. Something has, has gone wrong. So you, your light bulbs can burn out. Electricity could go out. We exercise faith that our cars won't break down in the middle of nowhere. We exercise faith every time we go to the ATM to try to withdraw some cash. We exercise faith in a lot of different ways. We have faith that our spouse will remain faithful. That our kids will grow up to love Jesus. See, we have faith in people and we have faith in things. Everybody has faith. The only question is, what is the object of your faith? What are you placing your faith in? And is it worthy of your faith? You see, faith has to be justified. And if it's not justified, it's not worth having. So this morning, we're going to do this. We're going to look at what biblical faith is and is not in order to help us tackle this cliche of just have faith. So we're going to start out 
What is biblical faith? First of all, it is not wishful thinking. Faith is often equated with uh, positive thinking or positive confession. Um, It is thinking that what I want to happen will happen. It's if, if you hope for something to happen, if you believe for something to happen, it will. But biblical faith is not believing something to be true simply because you want it to be true. There's a big difference. You can't simply name it and claim it, as some would say. Now, often when you hear someone say, um, you just got to have faith, what, what do they really mean? They, 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 what they're really saying is, just hang in there. You, you, you'll make it through this. You just keep believing. Don't give up. Just have faith. Now, this morning, somebody shared with me, uh, Amy shared with me, she said, you know, when I think of that saying, I think of somebody who's basically saying, you don't have faith. And I said, explain that to me. And she said, she said well, when you say, you know, well, you just got to have faith. I said, yeah, when you say it like that, it does sound condescending. So the reality is, is things don't always get better. As much as we want them to get better, sometimes things get worse. I mean, think about some of the characters in Scripture. Having biblical faith led Stephen to be stoned to death. It led the apostle Paul to imprisonment and then to martyrdom. And it brought about the apostle John's exile on the island of Patmos. Maintaining faith in God costs them. That's not what we desire for our lives many times. And biblical faith has been been at the root of persecution of millions of Christians for more than two millennia. Biblical faith is not a matter of getting our way, but it is a matter of living God's way. So biblical faith is not wishful thinking, but second, it is not faith in faith. You know, faith can be a powerful thing. But oftentimes, we can treat faith like it was electricity, some kind of power, that if we just have enough of it, that if we just exercise it in the right way, what it is that we want to happen will happen. It's not about, though, the size of our faith or the greatness of our faith. Some people have been taught that if you have just enough faith, if you have enough faith, anything is possible, including getting that new Porsche or that new jet or whatever it might be. You just, you think, if I just have enough faith, I can get what it is that I want. Well, that's not what Scripture teaches about biblical faith. I've heard well-meaning Christians say things like, if I only had enough faith, I would be healed, or I would get pregnant, or I'd be rich. Many Christians' faith are thrown for a tailspin 
when they believe that and what it is that they're believing for doesn't happen. Some people are shipwrecked in their faith when their loved one dies, when they're not healed, when their marriage ends in divorce, after believing God for it. If you follow the news at all, you every once in a while read about people who don't treat their children for sicknesses that they have. They simply believe that God is going to heal them. And they don't take steps to ensure that their kids are treated properly. See, that's faith in faith. Jesus told the woman who had the issue of blood, your faith has made you well. But it wasn't faith in faith. It was faith in Christ. God is the object of biblical faith. The size or the sincerity of our faith is nowhere as important as the object of our faith. In Luke chapter 17, the apostle said to the Lord, increase our faith. And the Lord said, if you had faith like a grain of mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, be rooted and planted in the sea, and it would obey you. So you can clearly see it's, it's not the size or the greatness of our faith, but it's the object of our faith. I like what Jeff Myers says in his book. He says, it's not our great faith that saves us, but God who saves us through faith. It is not about the strength of our faith. It is about the strength of our God. So biblical faith is not faith in faith, but neither is it blind trust. Biblical faith is an eyes wide open belief in the God who is there. We walk by faith and not by sight, but a faith that can't stand up to scrutiny is not worth having. To, to, to just simply say, well, I believe it. Why? I don't know. I just do. That doesn't cut it. God gives us reasons for our faith. Creation itself screams that God exists. The heavens declare his handiwork. When you look at this book alone, a collection of 66 different books written by 40 different authors over three continents, spanning a period of roughly 1,500 years, written in different languages, people of different walks of life from shepherds to kings, and every single book points to one person, Jesus Christ. It has an unbelievable unity unlike any other piece of literature in the world. And then, of course, there's other evidence. I like to talk about it almost every Easter. But what about the empty tomb? The empty tomb, huge evidence for the Christian faith. You know, it's been 2,000 years and they still haven't found his body? Yeah, that's because he's risen. 
And then you think about the changed lives of the disciples, right? I mean, here is a group of scaredy cats. Only one of them was at Jesus' crucifixion. The rest were in hiding. One committed suicide. And yet, somehow, we're expected to believe that in just a short period of time, that they were willing to give their lives for a lie, that Jesus rose from the dead when they know he really didn't. Is that really the best explanation for it? No. The best explanation for the changed lives of the disciples becoming bold proclaimers of the gospel is that they really believed that Jesus rose from the dead and they were willing to give their life for that belief. And then, of course, there's scientific evidence, there's archaeological evidence. One of the greatest um, archaeologists um, the world has ever known has said that there has never been an archaeological discovery that controverted a biblical reference. That's, that's amazing. And then think about the changed lives of millions and millions of people over 2,000 years. See, Christianity is not a faith that is built on blind trust. There are reasons for why we believe what we believe. Logic and common sense support our belief in God. And frankly, I think it takes more faith not to believe in God than it does to believe in God. Now, having said that, let me also say this, that Having faith doesn't mean you'll never have doubt. That you won't experience doubt. You can have faith in God, you can believe in his word, and you can still have doubt. You will still have questions that will go unanswered. God hasn't promised to answer all of our questions. He hasn't promised to remove all of our doubts. Doubts. I would argue that our faith is most valuable to us in the midst of our doubts. When we choose to believe in spite of the fact that we have doubts, God moves on our behalf even when we have doubt. That's, that's the thing that amazes me. It's, it's not, again, about us conjuring up enough faith so that God will do what we want him to do. Why does God act on our behalf even when we doubt? It's because he's good. He's a good God. I mean, what kind of father would tell his son or daughter, hey, I, I really would like to help you, but you, I'm not sure you are sure that I can, so I won't. That's not the God that we serve. God does good because he is good. We don't have to twist his arm to get him to do what he will do, what he has said that he will do. And the scripture tells us that he is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we could ask or think. In the Bible, in Mark chapter 9, there's a story 
about a young man who was demon-possessed. And his father came to him in the hopes that Jesus could help. And we read about it in chapter 9, but I'd like to read verses 21 through 24. It says, And Jesus asked his father, How long has this been happening to him? And he said, From childhood. And it has often cast him into fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, If you can, all things are possible for the one who believes. And immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe. Help my unbelief. You see, this was not blind faith, but no, nor was it perfect faith. This father exercised what faith he had in just coming to Jesus. And then he tells him, I, I believe, but, but I doubt it's, my faith isn't where I would like it to be. Can you still help me? And Jesus says, yes. And he accepted him. He casts out the demon and he sets his son free. So biblical faith is not about being doubt-free. It's about choosing to believe in the goodness of God despite our doubts. Jeff Myers said this about it. He said, biblically, Faith isn't believing things that don't match up to reality. It's admitting that God is the greatest reality in the universe and then living as if that proposition is true. His revelation about himself solves the mysteries of knowledge and existence, bringing healing and purpose to our lives. So now that we've kind of talked a little bit about what faith is now, let's talk about what faith is. Biblical faith is believing, trusting, and depending on the God who is there. I'm going to share some verses with you. This is not exhaustive. There are so many passages in Scripture that tell us what faith is, describing faith for us in many different ways. But one of my favorite is in Hebrews chapter 11, where we read, Now faith is the assurance or the substance of things hoped for, the conviction or the evidence of things not seen. Don't you just love that? That's the assurance of things hoped for, the evidence or conviction of things that we can't see. In Psalm 37, the psalmist writes, commit your way to the Lord, trust also in him, and he will do it. Having biblical faith is trusting in the God who is there. And I know that most of you could probably quote, right, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, right? Let, let, let's see, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding, acknowledge him in all your ways, and he will what? Direct your steps or direct your paths. 
There is a passage in the Old Testament that I think is a perfect illustration of what faith really is, and it comes from the book of Job, of all places. Job writes and says, Behold, I go forward, but he, God, is not there. I go backward, and I cannot perceive him. When he acts on the left, I cannot behold him. He turns on the right, and I cannot see him. But listen to verse 10. But, 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 but. He knows the way I take. And when he has tried me, I shall come forth as gold. See, to me, this is the essence of faith. Not so much that I know where God is at all times and what he is doing in my life and in the world. How could I possibly know that? But I know that he knows where I am. And that he is a good God and he will accomplish that which concerns me. He will finish what he has started doing in my life. For me, my faith is not wondering, God, where are you? And then thinking you're over here and then finding you're over here. It's that, God, you know where I am. You know what I'm going through. You know what I need. Even before there's a word on my tongue, Lord, you know it all. I can rest in you. I can trust you. See, biblical faith is believing, trusting and depending on the God who is there to carry out his good purposes for our life in every circumstance, whether good or bad. Finally, I want to share with you that biblical faith is faith that works. Now, I don't mean it works like, you know, it's a magic wand or a secret formula that gets us what we want, makes things happen, Rather, what I mean is faith acts. Real faith acts. No doubt you've heard the saying, put your money where your mouth is, right? What what does that mean? The the point of that saying is is that if you really believe something, you're going to be willing to act on it. You'd be willing to bet money on what it is that you say that you believe, I think in the Bible, the Apostle Peter gives us one of the best pictures of this. When uh, in um, Matthew 14, we read the story about the disciples being out on the Sea of Galilee, and the wind comes up, and they're having a difficult time rowing. The waves are getting really big, and then all of a sudden, as they look out over the water, they see what appears to be a ghost. And then eventually, they say, it's, it's the Lord. And then, you know, Peter and you just got to love Peter. But if you really think about this, it, it's pretty amazing. Peter says, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come out, out and walk on the water with you. And he got out on the water and he started walking on water. Now, 
I mean, think about it for a minute. There was a t- period of time where they, they thought it was a ghost. Could have been the devil in disguise. And Peter says, hey, Lord, if it's you, bid me to come out on the water. You know, I'm thinking if it was the devil, sure, Pete, come on out. <laughs> glub, 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 right? Well, what makes the story so amazing is that Peter actually got out. He believed that it was the Lord speaking to him. And he acted on his faith. And he began to walk on water. And you know the rest of the story. He took his eyes off of Jesus. He looked at the wind and the waves and he began to sink until Jesus reached out to save him. Our actions prove that what we say we believe, we really believe. Last year, Sandy and I uh, my wife uh, and I had a chance to go to uh, Hocking Hills Canopy Tours, and um, we did the, the, the main one that they did. And, man, you're pretty high up, and they get you in the harness, and then they hook you up, and, and you're flying between the trees and things like that. Pretty cool. Um, I felt pretty safe, although... You know, I, I did inspect the equipment pretty, pretty well. Um, but then we thought, well, that was so much fun, but it was so short, we got to do something else. So we decided to do the super zip. Anybody done the super zip there? Okay. There is, there is this zip line that is like at the top of the mountain, and it goes down like this. But you're not going down, you know, like this. Because at least there, I'm, I feel like I'm holding on to something, and, and if I had to, I suppose I could grab the wire. You're going down like this, only flat. So think Batman flying through the air. Well, when we got up there, um, I wasn't sure I wanted to do it. Because <laughs> it looked like, I mean, it's like, I don't know if I trust this thing. And so, you know, you watch person after person get hooked up, and you're watching all the... And I'm thinking, what if she misses one of those things? You know? So I, so I had a whole bunch of questions for her. I said, has anybody ever died on this thing? Um, has anybody ever flown out of it? You know? What's the weight limit? And, and I think she told me 250, and I thought, okay, I think I'm okay. And then I thought, I think I'm okay? It's... Anyway, so, but I made it, I made it. But it was only after watching, I I mean, this was not blind faith. I watched people all the time. It wasn't faith in faith. You know, it was only after watching and her explaining to me all the redundancies and telling me that it's safe, you can do it. It was only after all of that that finally, yours truly was flying down the mountain on a wire. The one thing I will tell you, I was not falling with style. Now, I thought, I thought I was brave and trusting until yesterday. Yesterday, I had a conversation with Paul Johnson. Is he in here? Paul tells me he went skydiving over the Rocky Mountains a few years ago. Now, I don't know if any of you have gone skydiving, but that, that, takes, that, that takes the need for faith up a notch. And uh, he even told me that when he was on the plane that they hit an air pocket and everybody's heads hit the top of the plane. 
So he wasn't even sure the plane was going to make it, let alone him jumping out of the plane. But then he explained to me, he said, you know, he said that they opened up like, it was like a garage door. And then one guy just jumped right out. And then somebody said to him, you're next. (laughs) And he got there and and he says he, he got there and he had his hands like on the side of the plane and he didn't go and he was being pushed and he didn't go. And finally the guy put it like a knee in his back and out the thing. And uh, so I'm thinking, how much faith does this take? I mean, you got faith, number one, that whoever put the shoots together, you know, put them together the right way, packed them the right way, that all the equipment's working properly, that you're buckled in and everything the right way, that the plane will actually get off the ground, won't crash, and that when you get thrown out, you know, the, the window, you don't hit the tail fin or, you know, start doing a somersault like his son did as he was going out, and that you land safely. And then I'm thinking, you're doing this over the Rocky Mountains. These are mountains, you know? It's like, you got to find a nice flat place to land. So he, he, he trumps me. He has more faith than I do, apparently. So, but the, the point of the story is our actions reveal if our faith is genuine. Do you really believe you can jump out of a plane and survive? Do you really believe in everything that was done to ensure your safety? You know, James tells us in chapter 2, verse 17, he says this, faith by itself if it doesn't have works, is dead. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. Now, we're not saved by our works. We don't gain brownie points with God, but faith always results in works. Biblical faith is faith that works. And we are called to live by faith. That means all of life is an exercise in faith. Here are just a few verses to consider. Paul writes in Romans, the righteous shall live by faith. Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And then the writer of Hebrews tells us that my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. Faith works. But it's not a matter of us getting our way with God, getting what we want from God. Rather, it is a matter of living God's way. The Bible doesn't tell us just have faith. It tells us to live by faith. And our faith journey begins the moment we come to Christ. The moment we repent of our sins, that is, turn away from them and turn to Christ 
receiving him as our Lord and Savior, believing that he is the Son of God, that he died on the cross for our sins so that we could be forgiven, receive the gift of eternal life, and become children of God. Perhaps you need to surrender your life to him this morning to trust him and him alone for your salvation and for whatever circumstance you may be facing in life right now. Maybe you're saved, but your faith is being tested right now. Maybe your marriage is falling apart or your kids are off the rail. Maybe you're having a health crisis, financial trouble, perhaps a a difficult situation at work or at school. Maybe you feel your faith just isn't strong enough. I urge you, take your doubts to Jesus. Exercise what faith you have in him. Let him be the object of your faith. Trust him. And like the father in our story, ask God to help you in your unbelief. Ask him to increase your faith. And you know how your faith is increased, right? Paul tells us in Romans that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the words of Christ. The word of God. We have to immerse ourselves in God's word for our faith to grow. You can sit around, you can pray for it till you're blue in the face, but faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of God. The writer of Hebrews tells us in that great chapter on faith, but without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. I love how the New King James Version translates that. I like that. Who diligently seek him. So let me ask you, do you believe that? Do you really, really believe that? That God is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. If you're here this morning and you haven't stepped over the line to trust Christ, that by faith receive him into your life, why not today? Why not tell him as we go to prayer in just a moment what you want him to do for you? Have you come to him? Great. Are you still seeking him daily? Mark Twain, Richard Dawkins, Professor Pinker, they got it all wrong. I looked at what Richard Dawkins said, and I think I would change how he said it. I would say that unbelief is the great cop-out, the great excuse to evade the need to think and evaluate 
the claims of Christ and in spite of the evidence that is in front of them. Biblical faith is believing what we know to be true because we have good reason to do so. May God grant us the faith and trust to depend on him for everything in life, for his glory and for our good. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for this morning, for this opportunity we've had to look at your word, to explore, explore this topic of faith. And Lord, I am so grateful to you that you accept less than perfection from us, that you allow us to come to you, doubts and all. But Lord, we do pray that you would increase our faith, that as we engage you in your word, that our faith would grow, that we would be strengthened by it. And that, Lord, that we would learn to live each and every day by faith. Lord, we want to be pleasing to you. And we want to receive from you all that you have for us. So, Lord, we commit ourselves this day to continue to seek you diligently, earnestly, so that you might work in us and through us for the furtherance of your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen.